Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning again, everybody. Okay, let's try that again. Good morning, you know. Thank you. Whoever said that with gusto out there, I appreciate that. Let's try it again. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. See how much better I feel because of you now? Oh, God. Well, today we're going to, uh, like uh, Pastor Charlie said, we're going to talk on fasting today. We're going to finish up our series uh, master class. We've gone through prayer and worship, solitude. Last night was Pastor Charlie uh, Bacar, and today it'll be fasting. These are spiritual disciplines. But before we get into all that, let me put up that pre-verse, pre-message verse that we go through during, uh, uh, throughout the year. We always go through one, then go to the next one and the next one. So if you're with us the first time, we're about three-quarters through this verse. I take one thing each week out of that verse, and I ask you all to read it with me. So I'm going to count to three, and would you all just read it out loud with me? Is that okay? Would you do that for me? Um, yes or no? I, I, I need feedback. I'm insecure, okay? So here we go. One, two, three. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as a division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, what I want to take today is we know the Word of God, the Bible, and by the way, the Bible, remember, it's not a book. It's a library. It's a collection of 66 writings in here written by over 40 authors on three different continents in three different languages over a period of 1500 years and it does not contradict itself at all contrary to what skeptics try to say out in the culture it doesn't contradict itself so the scriptures we know according to the writer of hebrews he says the the word of god is like a double-edged sword it can really cut But one of the things it says it cuts, it can divide between soul and spirit. Did you catch that? Now that's a real important statement because if you think about the two elements that it can cut and divide, the soul is our thinking. It's our natural thinking. It's our fleshly thinking. It's our old way of thinking. But the spirit is God's way of thinking, the spiritual life. Where Jesus said these words are spirit and they are life. And so when you put that together, you understand that it is highly possible that even as a Christian, we could walk through all of our life and think that we're right and we could be wrong because we're not studying the Word of God on a consistent basis to be able to discern between soul and spirit. Does that make sense? So... As you grow in Christ, and through the study of the Word is one big element of that, um, you're now able to discern what's a good idea versus what's a God idea, correct? Because now you know your spirit is growing, and you know in the Word of God, so when a thought comes in soul that doesn't line up with the Word of God, you can reject that. You can destroy the speculation and lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, because now you're walking according to the Spirit. Does that make sense? So remember that it's very important to walk or to know and to operate in to walk in a victorious Christian life. Now, let's begin. 
fasting. Um, I'm going to try to encourage you to fast. I'm sure most of us, and that's not a put down, I'm sure most of us don't fast. I just, we know by surveys and stuff across the country, Christians. But I'm going to encourage you. I want to I get you to, to, to bite, okay? But let me begin. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is, um, he goes up to the mountain. Speculation, Mount Hermon or Mount Tabor in Israel. They don't know which one. Could be a different mountain. But I think it's one of those two. And up there he's transfigured. He takes Peter, James, and John with him. And they are now allowed to see him in his glorified, glorious condition state. Once he comes down, and I'm cutting a lot of the story out because I've got to get to the part I'm going to use today to intro. There's a big debate going on down at the bottom of the mountain. And the debate and the argument is a man brought his son who is demon-possessed to the disciples because nine of them stayed down below. And he said, they want to cast the demon out. Well, they tried and tried, and they couldn't cast the demon out. And so when Jesus gets down there, what's going on? And the people say, well, the man says, I brought my son to your disciples and demon-possessed, and they couldn't cast out the demon." And so Jesus, of course, you know, he just casts a demon right out. And you've got to understand, think wider than just there, that Jesus has known that demon since he created that demon as an angel, but that, de- that angel fell and became a demon, went against God. So that demon knows Jesus. He has known him for a long time. And so when he sees Jesus, you've got to understand that that demon and the man, he probably messed up his pants or something like that you know because here comes God in the flesh here comes the creator of the universe here he comes and I've known him through eternity I've known him since he created me so once Jesus cast the demon out the disciples are curious now because they couldn't cast the demon out so they pulled Jesus aside he's their Lord right they're disciples they go why couldn't we do this and Jesus says this to them He says, these things or some things only come out by prayer and fasting. Now, he really gives you an insight into spiritual warfare, into destroying fortresses and strongholds in the spiritual realm. I use that story to say this, that your life, my life, we would probably maybe never encounter a demon-possessed person. It may never hit your family or your friends. I believe I've seen one demon-possessed person in my life. And yesterday I've been walking with God 44 years, and I think I've seen one. They had all the manifestations of it. But, um, and it shouldn't scare you, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So never be afraid of that. They're afraid of you. But um, you probably will never encounter that. But we will encounter the enemy. In this room like this, there might even be not possession, but oppression in some of our lives. Think of that like a leech. Like where the demonic leech is onto us, we let it in somewhere into some habit or something, and now it's leached on. But a Christian can never be possessed. That's impossible, because God lives in you. Now, understand that you may never deal with possession, but the devil still is going to come after you and your family, and your kids, is he not? 
you're going to come to your door. And how many of you, Paul says this in Ephesians 6 in the spiritual warfare chapter, he says, be able to stand firm, especially in the day of evil. And the day of evil is when Satan and demons, they throw everything at you or a family member or someone. How many have been through about 25 of those? Raise your hand, I'd like to know. Those days of evil come, and none of us are exempt. He'll come at you. Because a thief comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. And never forget that. Let me widen it out now. You guys know I am a what? A movie guy. Not a pastor. I know I'm that, okay? Oh, I forgot I was. I'm, I'm glad you reminded me, Lencho. And now I get to pick on you because you said that. And I'm going to do my Don Rickles now, okay? But uh, I just dated myself there, right? But now I'm a movie guy. And this movie came out 20 plus years ago. It's called The Patriot. Have you ever seen it? Okay, The Patriot. Mel Gibson in The Patriot. He plays Benjamin Martin. There's this one scene, and he is a person who is a soldier, but he's retired. And he's got a family, and he's a widow by now. He's got like a million kids. And the Revolutionary War breaks out, so you know it's the 1770s. And uh, they, everybody wants him to join and fight because he's a, he's a warrior. He, this guy's he's a fighter because he helped them win previous battles. But he won't do it. And he says this. His rationale is, I'm not going to join for the sake of my family to protect them. Now that sounds very noble, does it not? It sounds right. Well, almost. But it's not quite right, though it does sound right. And we can sure make things sound right to ourselves because we are our greatest salesmen, are we not? We could talk ourselves into anything and make it sound really, really good. So he doesn't join in. But the battle is raging around him, and now it's near him. His oldest son, who's late teens, he wants to enlist. He doesn't want him to, but he lets him, but he's only going to be a courier in that city. He doesn't want him in the battles. Then it's the, guy, the next son is about 15, and he says, no, you're not going to enlist, and he wants to go. And because back then, kids took on greater responsibilities at a younger age. They were more mature at a younger age. Any amens of that? That's just the way it was, and I don't think it was a bad time. And so um, he won't let him go. He says, you've got to wait till you're like 16. It was something like that. But see, he thinks he's protecting his family, and then one day, there's a battle raging around his home. And he, the next morning, he's got the both English and the American wounded all around his porch and on, on the grass there, if you remember the movie. Remember that scene? And he's ministering to all, give him water, medicine, food. He's helping both sides because he's staying neutral in this whole thing for the protection of his family. But then comes that evil um, British soldier, kind of a captain guy. I don't remember his rank. But he comes up and he's ruthless. And he eventually takes the oldest son who's there because he's part of this thing and, and he takes him and he's going to take him as a captive. He orders all the American soldiers that are wounded on the porch. He orders the British soldiers line up, shoot them. They shoot and kill every American in cold blood right there. So you know he's some mean hombre. He doesn't care. As they're taking his oldest son, that next boy, who's about 15, he says, Dad, do something. And Benjamin Marsh says, shh, shh. And they're taking the oldest boy. And this 15-year-old, he runs to try to save his brother. 
And when he runs out there, this captain of the English, he pulls out his gun, shoots, and he kills the 15-year-old. And that boy dies in his dad, Mel Gibson, Benjamin Martin's arms. His son dies in his arms. When that boy dies in his arms, everything snaps in Benjamin Martin. Because now he knows he cannot stay neutral. Now he knows he has to be what he's supposed to be. He's a warrior. He's a soldier. And he gets his other two boys. They're like 9 and 11. He gives them those long muskets, and they go after these soldiers who have his son captive. And Benjamin Martin goes nuts. He just goes psycho. And his boys and the oldest who was captive, they see now what their dad is capable of. And I like that. I like when a man shows what he's capable of instead of this stupid society that tries to feminize men. Any men? Amen's on that one out there? You're called to be a man. Nothing wrong with that. If somebody has a problem, come and see somebody else. No, come and see me. Come and see me, okay? But, um, and so he saves his boy. But in that moment, he knows he's got to join. He's got to enter into the service. He's got to do it. Here's the problem. Here's what he found out. You can play nice all you want. You can remain neutral all you want. But the enemy will never remain neutral. The enemy will not play fair. The enemy will show up at your home. The enemy will go after your children, go after your family. He'll go after your grandkids. And you got to stand up now. And you can't play. You got to jump in. And like he learned that, and we must learn that as Christians, I, I'd rather use the term followers of Christ, you've got to jump in. You've got to be a person who goes to the battle and battles for your family and battles for the nation through prayer, through fasting. You can't play anymore. You can't pretend the enemy's not coming anymore because he's not going to play fair. He's going to go after the very people that you love and you've got to stand up and do something about that in the spiritual realm. And fasting has an element of that ability that I want to cover today. And I'm going to take you through it now. Here's what I'm going to do. Now, let me, violent statement first. Some of you, doctor's orders, you cannot fast. Don't do it, because you could hurt yourself. And you know it. And you're okay. God understands that. But for the rest of us, some of us are, you know, 10th degree black belt fasters. We're good. You can fast two, three days just on water. It's nothing for you, man. And have eight-hour prayer sessions. You just got it down. And you're, you're right now in your mind, you're going, yeah, tell them, pastor. <laughs> Calm down up there. Because we've got some white belt fasters in here, okay? And so for you, just start where you start. Skip lunch. Just skip lunch. Take your Bible and go read it at lunchtime. Just start that way. Pray during that time. Others of you fast, you go juice fast. You go without food for the day, but you can drink juice. But like some of you, you can go pure, just water, just drink water. And you could do it. I, I can do it, you know, because I've been on and off with this thing for a long time. So, and I'm not telling you to do it every day or every week, but there's times when you do fast. Okay? And in fact, Jesus said that when he left to his disciples, then you'll fast. And he's gone. He's left. He will return, but he is gone. Now, so we're going to cover three points today. I'm going to take you through Isaiah 58. Turn there in your Bibles now. This is a chapter 
that was pointed out to me in the late 80s when I was a student ministries pastor. I was a youth pastor. Any of my old youth groupers in, in the room this morning? We had a few in the room this, this morning, first service. None? Okay. You were in my youth group? Oh, yeah, there you are. Nikki, I didn't notice you right there. Yeah, yeah, now you're a full-grown school teacher. Okay, you know, no. But they're all older now, and that means I'm younger. But, um, but anyone heard of Pastor Jack Hayford? Okay, I, I'm a disciple of his, and, and in every way, in the spiritual, in the baptism of the Spirit, I just, I had bought so many series from him when I was, in the 80s when I was learning. And when I bought one on fasting, Isaiah 58 was a chapter that he really dug into, and boy, I ate it up. And so every time I fast, I read Isaiah 58. And I'm going to teach you today why I read Isaiah 58 and why it is so important when it comes to fasting, because it's all about it. And so we're going to have a lot of fun today, I think. It'll be challenging to us, but we're going to get right into it, if we could. So Isaiah 58, I'm going to come down here in a second, Myrna, so let me, let me just kick her off, okay? So we got three points. Here we go. Number one, fasting must always be God-centered. Now, let's read this, Isaiah 58, verse 3 through 5. So fasting must always be God-centered. Verse 3 says, and by the way, verse 3 is the question coming from the people of why their fasting isn't working. Watch. Why have we fasted and you, that's God, God is you, capital Y, you do not see. Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Behold, and now here's the response, on the day of your fast, God calls it your fast. It's not his fast. You're doing your fast. Your fa you find your desire. He's telling the problem here. And drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife, and you strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high, in other words, to let for heaven to hear it. Is it a fast like this which I choose? It's rhetorical here. A day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed? And for spreading out sackcloth and ashes? As a bed, they'd spread out sackcloth and ashes like somebody died, they're in mourning, they're sad, they do it on purpose. Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Now, <clears throat> let, me, let me come down there. So let's look at this. Um, it's got to be God-centered, Isaiah 50, 58, 3 through 5. So the, it begins with this question, why do we fast God, why am I fasting? And you're not taking any notice of this. You don't even, it seems like you don't even listen to me. Well, the response, the divine response is this. He says, when you fast, Jim, you're carrying out your desire. It's what you want to do. There's no change in the program. You're not even acknowledging me. You're not taking a moment a time to even pray or read your scripture. It, you're just doing what you want to do. It's what he's saying. And then he adds that within that, because it's about you, you're in your flesh, it's your fast, then you continue in your contention and your strife. You continue in these dysfunctional ways that you relate to others. Contention and strife. And then he adds this, and then he, he says to them, 
He says, and the other thing is, you walk around and you make sure everybody knows that you're fasting. You make it look like somebody died and you're in mourning. That you're walking around like this, somebody goes, what's wrong? Fasting. <laughs> you know, and watch what Jesus, in connection to this, will say in Matthew 6, 16. He says, this is Jesus speaking, whenever you fast, do not put on a what? Gloomy face. First, let's, we can stop right there, Christians. At what point do we get over the gloomy face? Are you a Christian? Yeah, it's the greatest life. <laughs> you put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they, they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men. Now watch. When they are fasting. Truly, Jesus says, truly I say to you, they have their reward in for people who fast and make sure everybody knows it because look how sad and tough this is the reward is getting attention from man but you'll never get attention from God did you catch that did you catch it now let me share a couple of things of what uh, that need to be stated in balance Isaiah is not God is not telling us through Isaiah he's not saying that you cannot on a day of fasting that you cannot go through a lot of your regular things and routines and work that you do. He's not saying that. Because in our dysfunctional human minds, we go to an extreme and think, well, I can't do it. I'm just going to sit home in the corner all day because I can't do anything. Right? That's what we call either or. If you ever come to counseling with me, you'll probably hear the term either or. We go to these extremes, either or, but we don't know what balance is dysfunction doesn't know what balance is because we live some of us in such a world of extremes and the world's like that so we can go through our normal routines in life but he is telling us that we have to pause at some point in there and be able to um, spend time with God did not Moses when he saw the burning bush he was doing his normal stuff shepherding correct and then he says I must turn now, turn aside now, and go see this marvelous sight that the bush is not burning. Now, think about what he just said there. He's going to pause what he's doing for a short time, and he's going to go up there, he's going to turn aside, and he's going to check out and have a God experience. But then he's going to come back down, he's going to shepherd again. It's not like he's not. So look at this woman named Anna in the New Testament. She's a widow. Put it up there, Luke 2.37. Watch this. Now this woman, she got married. She lost her husband when she was young. And she's been a widow all her life. But watch what it says about it. She's mentioned in the Bible. Can you imagine that? And then as a widow, this Anna, to the age of 84. So she lives 84, lost her husband way early on. She never left the temple. So she's always in church. What a lady, huh? Serving night and day with fasting and prayer. So she's serving, but she accompanies her serving in church with prayers and fasting. So you're seeing that she can, you can carry out your daily routines, but you can fast and you can pray in the middle of it and you can pause. Any amens on that? So you catch that right there? See how the whole balance works? But I will also add in that when it's God-centered that fasting always carries the spiritual element and we will dive deeper into that as we progress today. Because Queen Esther in the Old Testament document of Esther, she's a Jewish queen in the Persian Empire. Um, she, uh, through Mordecai, her uncle, he, she's got to tell the king there's this 
there's a guy that wants to destroy and kill and annihilate all the Jews in the Persian Empire, which would be a lot. And so she asks all the Jewish people, Mordecai, go tell them all, we want a national day of fasting. And they do. And they do. And the nation is saved. And today the Jews celebrate a feast called Purim. It really happened back then. It really is real. There really is a feast. The Bible is real. Archaeology keeps proving it over and over and over again. Every time they say, well, we doubt that this really happened. And then archaeology finds evidence that it did happen. And you find that so many times, so many times. If you just choose to read and study it and find out from archaeologists what they find. So it's God-centered. It's got to be spiritual. So that's the first thing. Point two, now let's drill down. Let's go further. Fasting delivers us and others from things that control. Now watch this. Verse 6 and 7. Here's God now responding with, I'm going to tell you the kind of fasting I want you to do, Jim. Is this not the fast which I choose? To loosen the bonds of wickedness, we're going to key on loosen in a, in a few moments. To undo the bands of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free. And to break every yoke, verse 7. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Now keep verse 7 up there for a second. Let me quickly just say something about 7 because it's 6 loosened that I want to key on among many things being said here. I think that fasting has an element of priority. Because now when it's not about me anymore, now I learn to help people that are hungry. Now I learn to look at people that need clothing or something like that, and I help cover it, right? But the bottom line at the bottom, and I don't hide myself from my own flesh. Now that could mean humanity, or that could mean that, you know what, my responsibility is take care of my family. I got to make sure I support those kids. I got to make sure I'm doing what I need to do to make sure those kids have what they need to have and my spouse has what I need to do those things. I don't hide myself from my own flesh. So that, that's a free one. Now let's get back to verse 6. To loosen the bonds, the bonds of wickedness. The word loosen means to unbind. It means to untie. Do you know anyone that needs to be unbound? Look up at me, everybody. Yeah, we all do. All of us in this room. See, our natural tendency is, oh yeah, my uncle so-and-so. Well, how about you? You live in a fallen world like the rest of us. There's none of us worthy. You think I'm worthy to come up here and preach a message out of the eternal word of God? Are you kidding me? None of us is worthy. We all need to be unbound. Every one of us. Okay, watch. This is where, if you want to know my vein that I enjoy, this is going to be it right here. This is what I, this is what I live for. What I'm going to tell you next. Through fasting and prayer, we can unbind ourselves and others when it's focused prayer with fasting. Paul in the New Testament, he writes these words down. 
to a young man, a young minister by the name of Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22. He says, flee youthful lusts. Let's use the terminology like this. Flee youthful points of control. Now those of us who are a little older, just a little, and let's just say 25 and up, if you're honest, and let's be honest for the sake of everybody in this room, you know, and I know about me, and you know about you, that the very things that you battle today, some of those things, you picked up that habit in elementary school, junior high, high school, 20s, somewhere before you came to Christ. Am I right? Raise your hand. Am I right? Beyond. Raise them up. Come on, show everybody here. That's a fact. And we still struggle with some of those things, right? We pick them up. Let's call them attachments. Youthful lust. They attached. We indulged ourselves. We went into an area and then we developed the bondage in our own life. And now we struggle with those things. Let's go to Abraham. In chapter 20, Abraham, remember, he's been called. He's the, he was an idolater, and he's called to be the first Hebrew. Hebrew means to cross over. He crosses over from Ur of the Chaldees to the Promised Land, the Fertile Crescent. He comes to that moment with his wife, and he's going into Egypt during a famine, and he starts talking to himself in Genesis 20, around verse 13. Because he knows his 75, 80-year-old wife, for lack of a better term, she's hot. That's called good looking, okay? That's all that means. It's not like she's, oh, menopause. That's not what it means, okay? <laughs> Some of you are going a whole different direction there. Um, and he's afraid they're going to kill him and take her. And then he says, this is what he says. He goes, this is, isn't this what I said way back when I was still in Ur the Chaldees? This is what's going to happen to me? Now flash forward, you know, so many years later, and now here it is, he goes, I knew this was going to happen, and I'm afraid they're going to kill me. Now think of what he just said, and what he did. Something attached unto him back here. Are you following? Are you following? A fear attached here, and he carried that fear in his mind until he comes to this moment, he says, is this not what I knew what would happen? And he carries the attachment from there, and he carries it into here. We all struggle with things like that. Can I take you a step further? I was going to anyway. My favorite story in the Bible is prodigal son. So the prodigal son, you know, he leaves home because he thinks I'm smarter than dad. Oh, God, we have a lot of those. Give me my money. I want my inheritance. And long story short, he does. He takes off. And he blows all the money. Remember that? He blows it all. And then he's stuck. Because he has no money to eat. And so he finds somebody to work for. And it says that he attached himself to a citizen of that foreign land. The man basically makes him a servant and a slave. Throws him out to feed pigs. He's a Jewish boy. That's bad. And he's out there feeding pigs because, you know, he was smarter than dad. And as he's laying in that bed with his uh, wide awake, he starts thinking to himself, I'm an idiot. I'm just an idiot. 
I, even my, the hired servants of my father on the ranch, you know, back at the Ponderosa, they have it better. And so he gets up and starts walking home. And he's stinky and filthy. You walk by him, you're like, oh. And he starts to rehearse that prayer. Remember that prayer? He's going to tell his dad this. And boy, he's rehearsing it and rehearsing He says, <clears throat> this is what I'm going to say to my dad. Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he says it repeatedly. And then he gets to the father, and the father never lets him finish. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. You're not a hired servant. You're a son. You're my son. And you come right back into my ranch here, and you're one of my boys. You're my son. You're my flesh and blood. You're not a hired servant. Now, I want you to think. Now, think, because this is going to be the, the deal. Where did he learn that he would only be a hired servant or slave. Where did he learn that? Out in the world. Did he not? He did not grow up with that, but he learned it out there. He brings that attachment as he's coming back to his father, and his father, who's a picture of God, has to erase that old stinking thinking and input proper thinking in the boy's mind. Does he not? Now, listen up, listen up, listen up. One of the applications is, look, that boy, like all of us, we learned some wrong things growing up. I don't care how good your family was. You still live in a fallen world. There were attachments when you're growing up, right? But he left and he gathered more attachments. Listen, if you leave God, if you leave church, if you walk away from God because somehow he didn't give you what you wanted in your little sandbox of life, then you're going to go out in that world and you're going to get yourself and stuff and you're going to get more attachments on your life. And then when you finally wake up from your little nightmare of self-centeredness and come back to God, you will have more to deal with in yourself than you even had before. Because not only do you have your childhood attachments, you have more attachments because you went back out in the world, you left God, and you're going to live it your way, and then you come back and you realize, why did I ever leave God? Because now I got more to deal with in my life. Does that make sense? Thank God, huh? But the thing is, we all carry attachments. Now, the question is, you know, what, what do we do with all this kind of stuff? Jesus said this, Matthew 4, 18. Put it up there. He says, this is his proclamation when he begins his ministry. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That's a spiritual bankrupt. He has sent me to proclaim, proclaim release to the, say it, captives. captives. We're captives to sin. And recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed. So he came to set free the captives, us. So we have this thing where Jesus sets us free, but we can in turn be people who set free through the unbinding in the spiritual realm. Now watch. The question is how? 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4 says, for though we walk in the flesh, look up at me, that's the flesh, okay? Or better yet, it's the old nature, the old sinful man in me. We all know who that is in you, right? I know who he is in me. We do not war. This, our battle is not according to the flesh, the old nature. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but say it divinely there's a godly a spiritual divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses ah so I cannot fight a spiritual battle with physical weapons correct are you following okay good so late 80s 
when I was a youth pastor, I was in my office one time. And I noticed I had a pimple right there. You guys ever watch Pimple Popper? I watched it for like 10 seconds one time because people, oh, it's such a great. And I watched it, I'm going, oh man, I'll never pop the yolk again on an egg, man. I'm not eating that. You know? And so, so, I'm not watching it. But I popped this pimple. And, I, and I'm in my office working. And I noticed that there's this like red looking river going up my arm and I could not even take my finger and lightly touch it it hurt that bad it was a bad infection you understand that bad infection so I rushed down the dock I went to Kaiser went to emergency everything you know I'm screaming let me in I didn't do that (laughs) I go in there and the doc says good thing you came it's a bad infection and he gives me strong antibiotics to get rid of the infection but here's the question I have for you what if when I went there with this bad infection that needs strong antibiotics and the doctor said hmm here's what we're going to do to fix that to heal and to get rid of the infection I want you know where that donut store and he names the donut you know where that is I go yeah I do he goes I I go I love donuts he goes yeah me too he goes I want you to go down there buy yourself an apple fritter I go I love apple fritters take the apple fritter and just rub it all and down on the red spot and you'll be fine. I go, can I eat it too? No, I didn't ask that. <laughs> but what if he would have said that to you or you or I about the infection? What would you think about the doctor? Are you nuts? Are you, give me another doctor. You cannot fight an infection with an apple fritter, correct? It's the same thing in the spirit. You cannot fight spirit with flesh. Are you following me? You must fight spirit with spirit. You must have the proper weapons to be able to defend yourself, your family, your marriage, everything. And you must fight spirit with spirit. The word of God, prayer, fasting. Spirit with spirit. And that's how you unloosen and untie things in the spiritual realm and let go of old attachments in life. Now, number three, I got to move fast. Fasting carries a wide range of benefits. Now, I have five bullet points. You're thinking, how are you going to get through that fast? I don't know. But there's five good ones. Three of them are quick, two of them... Mm. So here we go. Oh, so I got to read the verses. Here we go. Eight through 12. Watch what he says. And then I'm going to go back and give you five bullets. Then your light will break out like the dawn. When you're fasting correctly, the light of God will break out in your life. Anybody want that? and your recovery will speedily spring forth. Anyone want recovery in your emotions, in your soul? Anybody? And your righteousness will go before you. People are going to say, whoa, that person's righteous. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Man, you're surrounded by good stuff. Verse 9, then you will call and the Lord will what? Answer. Anybody want God to answer? You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness. Verse 10, if you give yourself to the hungry, satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday, 11. And the Lord will continually guide you. Oh, anybody want that? And satisfy, say satisfy. Your desire in scorched places. Stop, hold it right there. Anyone remember at the beginning he said the problem with your fasting is you want your desire? Anybody remember that? We started with that. Now we find that God will satisfy your desire when you do it God's way. We'll get to that in a second, though. 
and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden with springs of water, whose waters don't fill. There's going to be flow of the water of the Spirit coming out of you. Verse 12, my favorite verse of the whole text. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations. And you will be called the repairer of the breach. The breach is the open spots in the, in the wall. The restorer of the streets in which to dwell. Okay, five things. Here we go. Boom, let me drive it home. The first thing is we find in fasting is personal transformation. It says your light will break forth. Your recovery will be fast. There'll be a righteousness about you. Look, you've been saved about five, eight, ten years. People should start to notice you're a little different. Any amens? There should be some kind of light coming from you. There should be someone that go, you know, you're, you're different, you know that? They should know. There should be a light. Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. There should be a light of the Holy Spirit coming out of you that people see that and they acknowledge God must be in your life. Any amens? I want that. The second bullet point is this in fasting. You get answered to prayer. I like that. Now watch verse 9. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to point things out. Verse 9. Give me verse 9. Verse 9. Okay. Answer to prayer. No, you will call and the Lord will what? Stop. Oh, no, there's a condition here. Oh, we don't like conditions. It means I got to do something different? Yeah, you kind of do. He says, here's the condition. You got to remove the yoke from your midst. Quit pointing the finger and speaking wickedly about other people. Quit talking negatively about other people. Quit talking about your spouse. Talking negatively about your friends. Quit talking negatively about the church or that pastor Jim. I don't like when he says that. <laughs> well, neither does my wife. So take no. I'm just joking. <laughs> now listen, listen what he just said. He said, I'll, "You want me to speak to you? Then you need to quit speaking bad of others." Hmm. Oh. Oh, oh! I, I have to take responsibility. I like the new America where nobody takes responsibility. No, you want God to speak to you? Then you start speaking right. You change that vocabulary. You change the way you talk about people. You turn it around if you want God to speak to you. Third bullet point, a change from me-centered to others-centered. Look at verse 10. He says, look, this is not about you. And in fasting, you got to give yourself to the hungry, satisfied desire of the afflicted. Then your light's going to rise in darkness, etc. In other words, it's not about you anymore. Now, this is a big one now. Okay. When you fast, just from a physical dimension, and it does invade the soul and spirit, but it's a physical dimension, what's the number one thing you are probably thinking about all day long? Tacos with guacamole and hot sauce, and a burrito, you know, a pastrami sandwich from the hat, uh, right? That's your, th your thing. And all day long, as you're fasting and these temptations come, you have to tell yourself what? One word. No. You tell yourself no. Listen. Listen. 
Listen to the voice of 2,700 years ago, the wisdom of it in Isaiah. Fasting teaches you and I to tell ourselves no. Would that save you any money? Now I'm going to drill down further. Listen to me, young man or man. You're going to tell yourself no. Quit going and violating woman after woman after woman sexually. You tell yourself no. Quit being a dog and be a man of God. And you tell yourself no. You respect women. You respect every woman. And you tell yourself no. And start to grow up and be a man. Not a product of your culture. You tell yourself no. And then when you have sons, you teach them to tell themselves no. And you respect women. And you have to teach yourself and them, it's not about you. It's never been about you. And the moment you make it about you is the moment you hurt people. It's not about you. Make sense? Four, fourth bullet point. Inner satisfaction. Oh my gosh, I gotta hurry. Here we go. And the Lord, look, he's going to continue to guide you. Satisfy your desire in scorched place. There's an inner satisfaction. And there's water, verse, the end of verse 11. There's water flowing from you, a spring of water. It's flowing from you like a big river of life coming out of you. But there's inner satisfaction. Listen to me very closely. The reason why some of us are so dissatisfied with people and life and our marriage and our job is because we're dissatisfied with ourselves. Did you hear me? You cannot give what you ain't got. You will only give what you do got. And if you're dissatisfied on the inside, then you're going to be dissatisfied with everybody on the outside. I'm, I'm dissatisfied with my spouse. I'm dissatisfied with the job. I'm dissatisfied with the church. That Pastor Jim, I'm dissatisfied. I'm dissatisfied. Really, what's, who is the common denominator wherever you go? Louder? You? Have you ever even thought that's possible? Look, when we start talking down and we're dissatisfied or putting people down and hear this and that, what we're doing is we're so insecure. It's an evidence. It's right away. I go, very insecure person. And they put people down because they're trying to push people down and push people because it elevates self so I can somehow feel better about my insecure, wounded, dysfunctional self. Does that make sense? I got to push them down and make myself feel better. So I'm driving down 6th Street, or Main Street. Three years ago it started. You know where that Firestone store is on Main, Corona? Anybody know that? Please tell me somebody knows that. Uh, Firestone, is that a store? Yeah. <laughs> well, there was a pizza place next to it. Remember the pizza place? Shakey's, yeah. And so I used to go there, but then it closed down. I was closed for long, and I would drive to work. I'm coming to church, coming down Main Street. And there was a big palm tree in front. And I was, it's the kind where it grows real big and you cut it like a pineapple. They're just beautiful. It takes years, decades to get that way. And I'm driving by. The place is vacant. The water's turned off. And I'm worried about the palm tree. 
I'm going, that palm tree's not getting any water. And I'm worried, and there's no water. It's all turned off. And so I know what's going to happen. And day after day, month after, I'm driving by, and then one day I drive by, and the palm tree is like this. This majestic, magnificent palm tree is now. Because palm trees are alive on the inside. They're not like regular trees that are alive on the exterior. It's alive on the inside. It tells you it was dead on the inside. It just... No water, no flow. Listen, if you're a person or a Christian that's always putting people down, putting people down, putting me, here's you. It just shows there's no water in you. There's no flow of life in you. There's nothing inside there. Because you've got to make everybody else feel bad to make yourself feel good. Because you're just like this. It's time for you to tap into the right stuff. Change your life because you have a generation of people might come after you if you ever get married or are married and you sure don't want to teach your kids that. Last thing, last thing. Generational transformation. This is my favorite of all. Generational transformation. Notice the verse. In the verse it says, I can be a restorer. I raise up age-old foundations. I, I, I repair the breach. I do it. But notice the beginning of it. Now listen, stay with me. At the very beginning it says, those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations, the foundations that used to be what we live by, and the ruins, the things that need to be brought back. The psalmist David wrote this in Psalm 11.3. He said this, if the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? He was right. Because they are destroying right now all of our age-old foundations, all the things we valued in this. They're destroying it, are they not? It's upside down, it's crazy, it's mixed up, it's everywhere but right. They are destroying what a marriage is, they are destroying what a male is, what a female is. They're destroying everything. They're destroying the age-old foundations. And you think, well, don't talk like that. God judges nations that go against his word, guys. Don't kid yourself. They tell us that babies in the womb are not valuable. Really? And who are they to say that? He's... I want the fact that when I fast and pray and I pray for my kids and I pray for my grandkids, I love the fact that my kids follow God, that the age-old foundations, those from among me will raise it up, that my grandkids through my kids, they'll raise it up, they'll stand firm, they'll stand firm in what God says, the age-old foundation, they'll raise it back up. And so can your kids. And so can your grandkids. You pray for them, you fast for them, because those from among you will raise it up. But you gotta be, you gotta, you cannot be Benjamin Martin sitting there going, I don't want to get in the fray. You have no choice. It's at your doorstep. It's there now. And they're coming after your kids. And they're coming after your grandkids. And if you don't know that, then you need to get out more often and see what's going on. Let me, let me finish. So, um, five years ago, thereabouts, I went and saw the movie Dunkirk. I don't know if you ever saw Dunkirk. It was pretty good. 
It's 338,000 English and French soldiers were stuck in Dunkirk, France, northern coast there. And, they, and the Germans, they were battling the Germans in 1940, 83 years ago. And, and it was going to be bad. And so... Churchill takes over for Neville Chamberlain in England because Neville Chamberlain basically said, I don't, I don't want any problems. He told Hitler that basically. And so Hitler, who's a bully, is going to just run right over. You cannot bargain with bullies from a position of weakness. You have to be strong. That's why America always has to have a strong military. Otherwise, the bullies of this world will run us over and take us over. Do you know that? When you were younger, if you tried to say hey, to the bully, I don't want any problems, what would he do to you? Well, you got it now, buddy. Because now I know you don't want to fight. But Churchill comes in. And he's tough. And he says, we're going to fight. And people in the verse, I'm not, I don't, we're going to fight. We're never going to give up. You know what he did? What's not in the movie? Because the movie, I get it. Hollywood is, it's atheistic, naturalistic, materialistic. They're not going to look at the spiritual aspects of anything in history. And they leave out one of the biggest and most important things in history. See, they had, you have all these people from coming across the English Channel in, you know, Navy vessels, but also people with little boats. They're just rescuing 338,000 soldiers over an eight-day period, I think it was, 1940. But what they failed to tell you in the movie is this. The Churchill called for a nationwide day of prayer. They never mentioned that one bit. Do you know that all the churches in England were filled? You know that? I mean, they were everywhere. Everybody's praying and praying and praying. Sidebar, a once great nation like England that used to be so into God, only 4% of the people go to church anymore there. They say more people go to Ikea on Sunday mornings than to church in England on Sunday mornings. We're not far behind in America, guys. We're not far behind. God is moving in third world countries because here, we're just too smart for God now because science answers everything. So they pray. And you know what happened? A massive cloud cover comes over the English Channel and over the coast of France for eight days. And the Germans couldn't fly their planes. They couldn't attack. They couldn't bomb. They couldn't do any of it. And you could say, well, that's just coincidence. Well, you could believe that all you want. But I think that was a move of God based on people praying. It saved that nation. But listen, we sit here today as a small group of people, but we have the same opportunity. If my people will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. Second Chronicles 7.14 We could pray, we could fast, and we have a chance to turn things around for the sake of our kids and our grandkids. Or we can be like Benjamin Martin in The Patriot and think the enemy will never come to my doorstep. He's here, guys. He's here. And he's never going to leave you alone, ever. So you might as well jump in the battle and get on it. Amen. I'm done. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I just pray that we do some of these things.
we jump in that battle the way we're supposed to. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I got to end quick because I'm, I'm way over, over time, and, which I do every week, you know, so it's not, not, nothing new. So stand up with me today. You guys ready here? Yep. Yeah, here we go. Repeat after me. Lord, keep me outward focused and fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness. Share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you. Hey, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.